my mom also worked in my high school and she is, her name is Paula Greganella and she's a long, like a Long Island Italian mother. So of course, like the news was spreading quickly in Bayshore. Welcome and thank you for listening to Almost Almost Famous, the podcast where actors, writers, comedians talk about the ups and downs, ebbs and flows of working towards making this crazy biz and how they're almost almost famous. I'm your host, Daniel Acker. Today's guest is starred in High Maintenance, Sunnyside in the Neighborhood. It's the hilarious and kind Mike Milan. Hello, hello, hello. How are you? I'm great. It's good to see you. So you're in New York right now, correct? I am. I am. It is one o'clock here. So um, it's a nice gloomy New York day, which has been really nice because it's been hellishly hot all summer. Yes. What's, what's what are you going on in New York? What, what took you out there? Well, um, funny story, actually, I came out here to do a play and then um, wound up getting another play. <laughs> I mean, it's just the bounty. Um, uh, but yeah, no, I'm doing Shakespeare in the Park this summer um, in Central Park at the Delacorte Theater. We're doing As You Like It. Um, so yeah, it's like a musical adaptation by this um, amazing composer named Shana Taub. Um, and yeah, it's a, a lovely one act, 90 minute version of Billy Shakespeare's As You Like It. So it's a real, you know, lo- lovely little, lovely little show. We're having a really good time. Oh, that's fantastic. I've, you know, we know each other through the CBS Diversity Showcase. I was a writer when you were a fantastic performer. But part of doing this podcast, I am always curious that what was your kind of journey to get here? Were you always a performer and wanted to do acting and comedy and all that good stuff? Or was this a later in life realization? Oh, I always like I was like the most obnoxious, like little theater gay boy you ever did see. I loved it. My some boys, you know, had pictures of Pam Anderson on their walls or whatever. Not me, honey. Adina Menzel. Okay. I only had <laughs> I only had the Broadway Divas. I had lyrics to Sondheim shows. I was like truly obsessed. But most of my obsession was musical theater for a really long time. And then um as I pursued it more and more, I sort of was like, okay, there's other things, there's other things. And that's sort of how I got into like comedy and um, you know, branched out once you know, once one door closes, a bunch of much less glamorous windows open. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, um, I was, but I was, yeah, I was like class clown all day. I was always performing. Um, yeah, I played a lot of sports when I was younger, but even in the sports, honey, I was practicing my pirouettes in the, in the, in the you know, in the outfield. Yeah. Uh, where do you think your love of uh, musical theater came from? Is that... I, I wonder this like constantly because I don't come from like a musical family. I don't come from any sort of like, you know, having like, I don't know, some uncle that took me in to see Broadway shows every year or anything like that. Like I just, it just like, I guess the bug just bit me. Um, <laughs> like I truly, I think maybe a lot of it, I was born in Queens and then moved out to Long Island when I was like in first grade. And I didn't really have a lot of friends on Long Island because it was like suburban, like, you know, cliques and stuff like that. And I was just like a little gay boy. Um, But I sort of felt, I don't know, I I wound up like, I found myself like at, in like dance classes and like singing all the time and like watching a lot of movie musicals. And I just like, there was something about 
a song furthering a scene that just really spoke to me. And like, my mom always has this like story. There was like, um, pick up, like, you know, like at the end of the day, like pick up your kids from whatever classes. Um, so they would wait in the auditorium for um, my older brother. And I was like, not even in any school. I was like, I don't know, four or something like that. And I would just like get on the stage and like get on the microphone and like sing the Barney song for everyone, <laughs> like unprovoked, like nobody needed me to do anything. But I just like, I guess I just needed attention at all costs. So um, yeah, that's, that's it. Oh, that's amazing. I mean, at least, I mean, you were still growing up though in New York. So you were in a proximity to to Broadway and to other things that you could eventually, do you recall like going to your first kind of Broadway show and that experience? And Yeah, for sure. I actually, um, it's funny, my parents sold their, um, my, like my childhood home this summer and I was going through all this stuff and it's like so much writing about me being like obsessed with Broadway, like just being like, I want to be a famous Broadway star. And yeah, it all started around like fifth grade. I think that was the first time I saw The Lion King, which was like my first musical that I saw. My like teacher in elementary school brought me to to like go see the show because he knew that I was like obsessed with musicals and like was with all these, you know, plebeians in my household that just watched Fast and the Furious movies. And so he like, you know, like wanted to, he saw the cultured queen that I was destined to be and, and here we are. Yeah. So he would just like take me in. I saw like The Lion King, Footloose, um, like, you know, I mean, The Music Man, all, all of like around 1998, like early 2000s musicals and all that fun stuff. Like, so that's amazing as a little kid to realize like, you know, your passion so early. Yeah. Um, and it was like only that. I was like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. I like took those career aptitude tests in high school and I was like, sure, pharmacist? Okay, yeah, sure. Catch me doling out drugs. I mean, you know, I did wind up selling my fair share of drugs in college, but that was not really pharmacy. Yeah, it was very different. No. <laughs> yeah. It's like, well, I mean, you could you could make the argument there's a little bit of a similarity there. Yeah. But you know, maybe maybe you'll write pharmacy the musical or something. And just... Listen, at this point, it's what what that's like the only thing that hasn't been musicalized. So let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> make it happen. Over the years of pursuing this, have you given yourself like a definition of success? Yeah, I I I have. I, I find that like you know, when I first started out, I like all, like all 20 something year olds, you know, your like success is like the TV show, the movie, the whatever, the Broadway show. And I like, I remember uh, as you, you know, you get in the business, you start meeting sort of successful people, successful people and seeing all these people doing the things that you're like, yeah, that's what I think will be the the bar. But um, all those people eventually, you know, those jobs end and like those things stop. And like, there's something about what we do that's like, you know, so interesting because one, <laughs> there's no career that like everybody thinks they know like how it works. Like I, I, you can tell any, you can talk to anybody off the street and they're like, let me tell you, oh, acting. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I know exactly what it's like, you know what I mean? Um, but that as well as like, it's just a constantly changing thing. So for me, when I realized like, oh, all of my super successful actor friends are now out of a job or whatever, I was like, okay, so maybe success isn't, the resume maybe success is actually sort of about this wholeness idea like this idea of like for me I want to be able to like obviously be financially independent like 
hopefully like have all my student loans paid off, all my credit cards paid off. Honey, at the I want to be usher at the strip club in that movie, Hustlers, just throwing the dollars. You know what I mean? That obviously is a big form of success. However, I also like am really focused on like being a full human and like being having a full life in this business and not just being like, especially in musical theater, there's so many like musical theater robots that like their entire personality is like their vocal range. You know what I mean? So I just, for me, I, I was like, I really want to steer clear of like looking back at my life and being like, whoa, I just devoted like an entire life to like a sort of problematic business, <laughs> you know? So like a lot of it for me is like feeling content with like who I am at the end of the day, what I'm doing, the things that I'm putting out there and like the projects that I'm involved with and just like sort of reputation stuff. Like I sort of see it as like these pillars, like life, money, relationship, like all that sort of happiness is like really important to me. Mm -hmm. But when you can make it holistic and internal and like, okay, what do I actually want out of my life? It puts it in a, in a clearer picture, I feel. Yeah. And like, there's sort of this like famous phrase, like if you want to hear an actor complain, like give him a job because it really is like once you, you know, you work so hard for the thing. And then like your first day on set, you're like, ugh. They're doing Greek food at Crafty. Uh, you know what I mean? Like you will find something to complain about and something to be like, oh God, oh God. You know, there's just always something to be like <laughs> disappointed by in what we do because it's like, we work so hard to get the job. So like when you get it, you're like, if this isn't goddamn heaven, then what are we doing this all for, <laughs> you know? Um, right. So yeah, so I feel like it is about being like content despite the career and like you know I want there are certain things obviously I want to like check off um and be like yeah I worked with these people I worked with these directors I like you know portrayed this sort of character and things like that but um as far as uh defining success it's it it, it stifled me for a really long time trying to just chase the Broadway show or just chase the TV show or whatever you know so and then once I got those, I mean, like I made my Broadway debut a few years ago and like, I remember getting it and feeling like, yeah, but you know, I'm still in my twenties. I still have like so much more life to live. And this show is closing. <laughs> the show closed after three months, after three years of working on it. You know what I mean? And so it's just, it was such a testament that like, girl, you're living your life. Like you're not just like, trying to book like just focusing on booking a job or whatever is a, a moot point right uh yeah with this business since there are so many like highs and lows and ups and downs what do you do uh in the lulls in the times when maybe there isn't as much work like what have you found for yourself to be beneficial for me i as somebody who's like a mixed race latino fucking gay like sort of masculine presenting when I need to be honey of like person who doesn't have a ton of like people to look up to and be like ah that's the trajectory that I want like oh there's an actor who like looks just like me or like gives me that vibe like there's not a lot of like gay Seth Rogen stoner types out there so I'm trying to be that obviously but like um I've learned like to not obviously try not to compare but to not sort of to forge my own way. So in those lulls, what's helped me 
is sort of, uh, I hate to sound as pretentious as I'm going to, but returning to the work, um, I really find that like going back and I mean, I have like assistant directed assist um, directors before I have like gone to the writing thing. I've been like a writer's assistant before I've done. I, I find that when I'm focused on my acting and it's not maybe necessarily bringing in the money and the attention that I need, if I sharpen my other knives and I start sort of like making my full Swiss army knife as like sharp and fierce as it can be, it winds up like feeding into the other stuff. So whenever I'm feeling sort of dead or lulled, I'm like, okay, well, you know, we're living at a time where it's so easy to just like make some content, make, have, make a podcast episode, have a fucking whatever idea, go to my notes section that I like am constantly on and go, ah, there's like a nugget. Let me work on that. Or reach out to friends that I really respect. And like, there was a time when I was like 26 and I, or like 24 rather. And I was like really lost. I had just got off a tour and I was like doing well from college. And I like, couldn't get a job, hon. Couldn't get a goddamn job anywhere. And I reached out to my friend Trip, and I was like, hey, like if you have anything coming up, like I would love to assist you. I just like need to be reminded of like, rehearsals and like what I if I like this even still and um I assistant directed this play called Yen at MCC and it was with like Lucas Hedges and um Justice Smith and Ari Grainer and Stefania Owen and it, it was just like all of these like young so talented like seasoned pros and um it was just such a helpful experience to me because I was like yeah like this is the stuff that I want to do and Trip was such an, an amazing director to sort of be like, all right, like, what do you think, Mike? Like, I wasn't just like getting coffees and like being a PA. Like, he, I had things to say, and I like, I know that that play wouldn't have been the same if I wasn't a part of it. And that just like boosted me up and it got me off of this like thing. I have this like image of like my career, and it's like this sort of like wheel. And if it stops, the moss grows. You know what I mean? So it's like, you just got to keep it going. And whether that is like, trying stand up or going into comedy or assistant directing or like all these things like all of all of the things that I enjoy now I found in the lulls of my acting career mm. I like that idea of the wheel like it keeps moving but the directions can shift a little bit to, uh, to other avenues and other interests now being in this business for a bit uh have you received any bad advice Honey, oh my god, the amount, the um, I actually probably have received more bad advice than I've received good advice. I remember just like off the top of my head, I remember there was this like sham of a director that came into my college at one point, and like I had long hair in college, hair was just coming out, and like I don't know, I my hair has always been sort of this like <laughs> will he or won't he sort of <laughs> is it long, is it short, <laughs> what are we gonna do? It's a real you know Rachel Ross situation up there. But, um, you know, I was sort of growing it long and I really liked it. Um, and this director was like, well, you better cut your hair and like, you got to look a certain way and like all the stuff, unless like, if you don't, if you cut your hair, you'll be more sort of handsome and more sort of, you know, less, uh, I'll fit into the mold a little bit more is what he was basically saying. He was like, I, I was like, well, I'm, I'm really trying to like go into the hair revival that's going out. And I feel like this will really help me. And he was like, well, if you want to only work every two years, you know, then yeah, keep your hair long and all this stuff. And this is, he was also a, a bald man, like fully bald. So it felt mm. very sort of personal. 
but it was like I've I've received so many things like that especially in college of like well you should be like sort of like this or you should be sort of like that and like I don't listen to anybody's advice anymore because I'm, I'm the only one I'm the only one with this perspective I'm the only one that like knows what it's like to really walk into a room I know what people will look I know how people see me in a way that other people think they do because they're like, yeah, that's the world. And I'm like, no, 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 no. It's just a little different, you know? Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's sort of hard to go through, especially in a musical theater career. It's sort of hard to like go through without getting bad advice. That's for sure. Right. <laughs> yeah. I always love, cause so many people like when they say the bad advice, it's always based on like some weird looks adjustment like that, where it's like, you should, you should shave, you should cut your hair, you should do that, you should wear these clothes. And you just go, if I only get a job because of my hair or I lose a job because of my hair, those are jobs I don't want. Like right. that's, that's nothing about me. That's nothing about the skill I'm bringing. Go in as yourself. They'll like yourself, hopefully. They'll like your acting, what you're performing as. And then we can talk about the look later. Right, like that's actually... There's a whole team of people whose job is like to get the look right. And if you're showing up trying to guess or assume or present not yourself because you think it's what they want, you're not getting the work. You're not getting the job because Absolutely. they like, because you'll know deep down, you'll be like, oh man, I'm really not, <laughs> I'm not myself right now. Totally. I, I've like had this like huge focus on like truth lately. Um, there's something about like, I don't know, like in what we do, there's so much like, you know, campy little like corny stuff that we have to do. Um, but like, I have this like sort of theory. Okay, I, you're sort of catching me in a very like, I've been like, it's been a zenny summer, honey. But like, I have this sort of like vision of like the industry and what we do. And like, especially in the theater world, it feels like there's like two sort of people, two sorts of actors that like, some are like, I'll do whatever it takes. I'll do, you know, I'll wear a freaking, you know, Crash Bandicoot costume and like go around and do whatever. Like I have no, I just want to be working constantly. Those people that are like constantly going from gig to gig to gig. And then there's like the people that are a little bit more like selective and a little bit more like, I actually care about like the projects that I'm putting on. I care about like the message that's getting sent. I care about what, it, what it's going to mean to me as like an artist and all those things. And like, I find that um, both are fine. Like there's no, there's room for both. And there's absolutely like, I sort of wish I was more of the other, but I'm very much the latter. Like I'm, I, I don't want to be doing something just to do it. And I don't want to like, I don't know, compromise my own self because I have a very like obnoxiously strong sense of self that like, unfortunately cannot be compromised. And so I like, it. it all goes into this like, idea of like, yeah, like I have to be myself and feel like when I'm on set, I am, they want me. Yeah. You know, it takes a special person to be Crash Bandicoot, you know. <laughs> okay. <It's> just, and <laughs> not everyone can just don the costume and run around. It takes a real <laughs> chameleon, a real, real star to get that. <laughs> Do you have moments in your career where you feel like you've uh, hit certain milestones or kind of made it or touchstones or anything like that? Yeah, for sure. I mean, like, uh, um, my Broadway debut was like a pretty huge, was a pretty huge moment for me. It, it was something that I worked really hard for and something that like, I had a lot um, riding against me and a lot of people telling me it was never going to happen. And um, I was like, it was also like just a fucking beautiful moment because I'm from Long Island. 
And um, on like our first preview, like my very first performance, like on Broadway, my high school like rented school buses and like they all came and like it was just this huge like I like left the stage door and it was just like my very first director, like my high school director, my math teacher, like, you know, security guards from my high school, like it was just like an unbelievable, my mom also worked in my high school and she is, her name is Paula Greganella and she's a long, like a Long Island Italian mother. So of course, like the news was spreading quickly in Bayshore, but it was like, I, I just, um, throughout the whole run, seeing all of these people that like helped me get there in big ways and small ways and being able to like celebrate that with me was like momentous and like very emotional. And like every, although we were doing a Jimmy Buffett like jukebox musical it was like I was crying all the time because I was just like wow this is like such an accomplishment and so like how lucky am I yeah I work hard but there's so much luck to this and like this show needed this person and I did it right and like I got it and I can't believe it that was a huge milestone and honestly leaving from that doing showcase was a huge one for me too because it was like this sort of like flip of the coin this like other side of it where um in the musical theater world it's very much you know people telling you what to do and I was coming into this new environment filled with these like pros these like seasoned people that had like toured all around with so much confidence that they were funny (laughs) that like I was like oh my god like it took me it was, a, it was a big milestone for me in like an educational moment because I was like, okay, like it, now's your time, honey. You got like three months to really like either fake some confidence or get some that like you are meant to do this and that you are a funny person. There was something about not only getting chosen for this small group of people, but also feeling welcomed by this group of people and not feeling like the stumpy, like, you know, musical theater person who was just like filling a quota, like go go up there and sing a song or like go up there and do a dance or whatever. Like I was like writing sketches. I was like purposefully trying to avoid doing musical sketches. Cause I was like, no, no, no. I like want to see who this person is. Like, I want to see what this stage of my life is. And like, I felt like I reached a musical theater, like milestone, got it. Now I'm like ready to start at the bottom sort of of this like comedy world. And not that the CBS showcase was the bottom at all, but like, you know, for my own personal self, like learning how to write a sketch with people that had toured doing sketches. And then like, by the end of it, you know, like knowing that I was a reliable person and that I knew how to, how to, how to do it. You know, that was, that was, that was a really big one for me. Yeah. And I think you have a good mindset of it's, it's also uh, looking at with the curiosity and ability to learn, like not, not being like, oh man, I don't know how to do this. So I probably should just stick to what I know and be fine. It's sort of like sometimes the excitement of like, I'm kind of, you know, in new waters here, in new territory. Let me see how, how well I can swim. What can I do? And sometimes you realize like, okay, actually this is not, <laughs> not my wheelhouse and that's totally fine. And other times you're like, oh wow, I just like sharpen that tool. Like you said, or I just strengthen that muscle. There's something about doing something that really scares you that like, I, I just love, I've just always like been the sick masochist when it comes to that stuff. And like, I like being the rent of the litter and then fucking being the top dog. Like I like that buildup. I, I, I worry that there's going to be a time when 
I'm only surrounded by yes people and they're only like, yes, good job. Oh my God, look, <laughs> he's so funny. You know what I mean? I don't want that at all. I like, I like to be challenged. I like to surround myself with real ass people that are like, you need to be doing better. Like, I, cause in my head, honey, I'm, I'm doing that to myself. I'm like my, the demons are constantly going saying more, 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 you know what I mean? So um, I wish I could be a little bit more content with where I've come to and like how far I've, you know, grown and all that stuff. But I like, I like that right now I'm 33 years old. I got my foot on the gas pedal and my hands on the steering wheel. And I think from before, maybe I was just full gas at times. Maybe I was just steering a parked car. You know what I mean? But now I really feel like I'm like fully driving myself. And I, I just know that like something big is going to happen soon. It just feels very like, like, um, I don't know, serendipitous. Now with this idea of getting like, yes, men and moving up in this career, have you given any thought to the concepts of the idea for yourself of becoming rich and famous? Like, where's your head oh, with that? Oh my God. The, the minute that I'm right, like, I'm going to be the most obnoxious person. Like I'm going to be obnoxious in the best way. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm going to give back. I'm going to like, I really genuinely do believe in like giving back, extending a hand as somebody who had like many people help him out, but very few, I've never really had somebody like really reaching back and being like, this is come, come with me. You know what I mean? Um, and I want to be that for somebody in a, in a really big way, especially somebody who doesn't necessarily have a ton of like representation for themselves and blah, blah, blah. Um, and as somebody who like, I don't know, is very in the middle of many different like racial, cultural spheres. Uh, that's sort of like where my focus is and what I really enjoy about like cultivating that community. But honey, ooh, the things I'm going to buy. I'm going to be the dinners, Daniel. The dinners. I am a dinner fiend. I love it. I will invest in a restaurant just so that I can just go into the kitchen and like be that bitch that's like, make me a steak. I'm going to be eating at 42. You know what I mean? Like, I just want to be that so badly. I just like want, I'm also going to be that person who like constantly has a posse around him. Like I fully believe in like funding the friends as well. And, you know, having the real ones, the A ones since day ones with you. And like, I'm, I'm trying to appetite this bitch. Like I'm trying to have all of my friends who are all geniuses and are all almost, almost famous, like trying to get up there. You know what I mean? Like I want to, mm -hmm. I want to build that community so badly. And I want, all the like shitty things that are on television now, all the like little tropey, whatever, blah, 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 you know, formulaic things that we all are, you know, that my parents love to watch. Um, I want to like <laughs> combat that with like really good, like people working with really good material and just, yeah, like changing the world in that way and like making things the right way. I really want to impact and like, leave something behind me that is bigger than myself and i want to have a pool okay yeah With a you have all that other stuff why would you have a pool exactly i also want to have like um in dharma and greg she used to have a trampoline room i believe it was just like a room with a door and the floor was a trampoline room and that has not left my brain i i need that i need a high ceiling and just a full room that i can just tramp 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 around in you know?
See, I've always wanted the trampoline floor, but trampoline walls at an angle and a really high Velcro ceiling. So you could wear a Velcro suit. Okay. Stick up there for a bit and slowly just fall back down. I That was always like, that would just be the ultimate jump around, can't get hurt, super fun room. Wow, 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 wow. Okay, okay, things are changing. And look at this, see growth mindset. Um, I've already learned from you, Daniel. Um, yeah, we'll sort of have to hire some sort of attendant to just peel us off of the ceilings, but <laughs> yeah, worth it. Some type of hook or broom. Yeah. Um, now, uh, have you gone to do that dinner with friends and then, and then covered it and then gotten the bill? I've done that. Mm-hmm too few times in my life for me to be comfortable with like because oh I love I love drop I love I love dropping the dropping the credit card I love the like I'm just gonna go to the bathroom the talking to the waiter I love the like don't worry coming back to the don't worry guys I got it I mean the power in that don't worry I got it like oh my god to say I got it I bought I bought someone a slice of pizza yesterday and I was like, honey, you can't tell me anything. I felt so alive. Like I genuinely, as like somebody who grew up pretty poor, there's something about like providing for somebody else that isn't a kid or something mm-hmm. gross like that. Um, that like really <laughs> makes me, that makes me like feel so powerful. The, the phrase, I got it. When you're at a table with friends, there's nothing quite like it. Uh, now, what are your thoughts on the idea of becoming famous? Where does your head go with that? When I was younger, it was the only, it was, I will stop at nothing. Now, now that everyone can be famous and now that it takes absolutely no skill, talent, or like anything extraordinary to be famous, it's the last thing I actually want to do. There's just nothing really, I mean, it seems sort of sexy, but ultimately like, I don't think it is. Like there's just... I, I, I don't know. I'm sort of a closed off person. I'm very, I'm a cancer. So I'm very like in my own shell. And if I like you, I'm like, Hey girl, what's up? You know what I mean? But um, yeah, I don't think there's any currency in fame anymore. Like for me, what am I going to do? Squatty potty ads or whatever? Like, I, I don't know. They, they, it, to me, fame is just all one big build up into being an actual human commercial these days. So I'm just like, not interested. I don't want to have to post on social media, like contractually. I don't want to be taught. I actually think success is being able to be off the grid to Michael Sarah, that shit, like to have a flip phone and like not give a fuck about what anybody says. I will say the few times that people have like recognized me or like have seen me, I went to see a, a uh, I went to see my friend um, in Beetlejuice once and it was right after Sunnyside came out and like somebody came up to me and we're like, oh my God, were you in Sunnyside? Like blah, blah, blah. And it was like, you couldn't tell me. that entire show. All I was thinking about was like this girl who like made me feel like an absolute rock star. Um, and that was really cool because I, I do like connecting one-on-one with people. Um, I don't want to be like so famous that I can't like actually make any connection with anyone because I have to like run from my car to my dad to that. So like, I have to be this like protected princess in a tower. Like that sounds horrible, but I do like the idea of like making these connections with people and, and having somebody come up to you on the street and being like, I like your work, you know, or like, I saw you do that thing that was really funny and thank you for that. And like, Oh my God, I love you in this and da da da. Like that feels so cool. Cause you're like, yeah, sometimes, you know, it feels like we're just sort of doing this thing into the void and you're just sort of like throwing it out there for the internet or whatever. 
And it's really nice to be like recognized and appreciated and, you know, know that there's people watching. Yeah. Speaking of uh, someone who's extremely famous, it's now the time of the podcast where the <sighs> roast comic comes out. He loves to take these guests down a peg. Here he comes. <laughs> so we're going to bring out, we're going to bring out Raz Clifford. Come on out, Raz. Okay. All right. Who am I talking with today? Oh God. Mike Milan. Daniel, what was the matter? You couldn't like find literally anyone else. Anyone else would have been better than this man. Oh my God. Well, here we go. Okay. Hey, did you know that if you rearrange the letters in your name, you can almost spell kill me, man, <laughs> which is exactly what I would want someone to do if I've ever caught at one of your shows. <laughs> yeah. So just remember that. Now, Mike, would you call yourself a comedian? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm going to need your address so I can send you a dictionary <laughs> so you can look up what a comedian is because we have wildly different definitions. Uh-oh. Don't worry, Mike. I really can see you becoming a household name. I do. I think everyone will know the name Mike Milan, especially when they find out all those people you've been murdering. <laughs> That's going to be big. That's going to be big. Mike's sense of humor is a lot like a magic eye. You know, if you squint and you scoot back, you can pretend like something's there. <laughs> oh, now I'm seeing the picture, and the picture is the Raz I just gave you, buddy boy. Oh. Okay. If you ever get tired of surrounded by yes men, just come hang out with me. I will constantly tell you how much you suck. Don't worry. <laughs> All right, Mike. Bye. Don't talk to me. Bye, Raz. <laughs> Raz, what is what is Raz's rate for um, being a no man? By the way, do you know? My God, for you, he would want several dinners. Yeah, okay, that's fair. Uh, I will pay in dinner. I will pay in dinner. He eats like a mess, though. Yeah, he, and he, but he doesn't want you at the dinner. <laughs> he just wants you to okay. flip the bill. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't want you around. Sure, sure. sure. I'll just sort of, um, I'll, I'll get it. I'll get it. Right. Just, <laughs> just have your credit card on file or whatever, and he can just go in and dine. Well, obviously, this was uh, the career and the path you were going to be doing since a young age. But if you weren't acting or anything in this entertainment field, what's an area uh, of interest that you would have maybe pursued? This is a hard question because like in my in this very professional interview, um, I would say something like psychologist or like somebody like sort of therapist, because I do like that idea. However, I just know myself, I, as a, like I said, from the get-go, this was like all I ever wanted to do and anything. So I I know that I would probably be a director or work in the business somehow. Like I actually disgustingly realized this last night, like I've been getting a lot of questions about like, oh, do you want a family? Like, Like all those horrible questions. And I'm always like, no, I like actually don't. I'm like, my career is like my family. It's like all I want. And I realized like the only way I want to actually have like a family and kids is like if I'm just one of those like shitty Hollywood families that like I'm just I I make the movies I put my kids in them we all talk about the dailies like we it is it's a deadline household like I would want to do that like that's actually my dream is just to be like have this really weird distant professional relationship with my like emotionally empty kids. <laughs> that like are over overly like therapized and like very much just like sad for no reason like they're just sad about their own privilege and I just like 
create a mogul like empire for them. That's that's like that's actually my my dream. If I couldn't be an actor, I would like to ruin my children by being a, <laughs> a Hollywood like heavyweight. <laughs> oh wow, what a what a lovely home life these kids would have. Yeah, want, yeah, yeah, yeah. You want that family so when everyone sees it and they see them complain, they go, what are they complaining about? They're so wealthy. They're such a smuggle family. But deep down, you know, yeah, I've ruined these kids. They're a mess. <laughs> exactly. Like all their friends are like, no, yeah, like you guys, it's actually like a lot harder than you think. Like it's, it's, it's hard for them. And that's what I want. Yeah. You want the like eight part documentary series in 30 years that's going to highlight how much of a monster you were. <laughs> But but man, yeah, did you get yeah. results? You got results out of these kids. Exactly. I'd like to gaslight my children into being absolute psychopaths. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'll just speak for myself on this. But please do not have kids then. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh. Uh, yeah, but I could see psychiatrists or therapists. I feel like you do like one on one and connecting and all that stuff. And then, with the exception of maybe not family therapy, it sounds like maybe. No, no, People no. People no. talk about their kids and you'd be like, why did you have them? Gross. No, thank you. Yeah, I don't really believe in family. I don't, I think it's a construct. I think, I think it should be stopped at all costs. So it's, yes. it's like this weird, like distant thing that I have with the idea of family, but I do feel um, very connected to individuals and I believe in that. And now inevitably, Mike, when you are, and if you have been, forgive me, but inevitably when you are a guest on a late night talk show, what is a story you would love to tell? I'm going to tell you a story um, about my boyfriend and I, Joe Conti, who um, the, the, the like moment that I really fell in love with him. We were in Bali. I don't know if you're familiar, Bali, Indonesia. I've yeah. I've heard of it. <laughs> so we were vacationing there and it was sort of, um, it was like a great time, but it was also, Bali is like hard. I didn't love it because um, I, I was sort of sick the whole time. And like, they have this thing called Bali belly. So it's like, everyone's sort of like nauseous because it's just, and it's like, you know, so far away and it's like so hard to get to. Um, so it was like this long, um, sort of gruelingly beautiful vacation and on the way back we were like oh god I just want to get home and we had to like fly to Sydney and then fly to LA and as we were at the airport um Joe had gotten an ear infection earlier also to add to the sickness so you know grueling um and we went to this like emergency um Bali doctor and they gave him these like antibiotics that were like crazy and he was like he was like falling asleep all that like it super knocked him out like he was like really really sleepy so we were like got ready we had like we were at the airport early like had dinner had had like some wine um we're feeling good and then we were like getting ready to get on the plane and he took his medicine because he's like i'm gonna pass out on this plane and then they delayed us and delayed us and we kept on being like huh and then we found out that a volcano was erupting that there was volcanic ash. And although with the accent, they kept on saying volcanic ass, which I thought was really funny. <laughs> um, and they were like, there is ass in the air. And I was like, work. Um, yep. Yeah. I'm like, but we're leaving. There was ass in the air. Um, but <laughs> we, so we like, we were sort of like holding tight. And as Joe is like knocking out, they're like, okay, so the flight is canceled. You have to go to this gate to like reschedule. And I like woke Joe up and I was like, we got to go. Cause there was like full, like many flights were canceled. So it was like this like mad dash. 
and everybody's on vacation and I'm from New York. So I was like, I know how to power walk on. So I like threw the suitcases at him and I like scooted my way and I like ran through this airport and I just, we like had to wait on this line. It was like three in the morning. We had to wait for hours and like had to wait for our luggage to get like deplaned. And of course ours was like the last one deplaned. And we were just both like so quiet, you know, when you're like traveling and you're just like, nope, we're not going to be talking right now. We're just going to be, don't say anything. Cause I had to take this out on someone and you're the only one here that I know. So let's do it. And it was like this moment of like understanding there. And then we finally got our luggage. We like had to get another hotel and like do all of this stuff. And then our flight to Sydney got delayed. Like it was like a hellish return. Um, and I don't know, it was like this moment where we just like, it just was perfect because we both like had each other's backs. We were both supportive. As I ran, he just like dopied his way <laughs> to, to me with all of our bags. And like, it was just like this awesome teamwork moment that was like a nice reminder of like partnership and the importance of like having somebody in life that like you get and that gets you and that is able to just be like, all right, like even in a volcanic ass in the air situation, we're gonna be okay. I would have guessed that volcanic ass would have brought the two of you together. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> like two tops, all we need is volcanic ass, <laughs> but truly, because I was just like, yeah, like we, we're good. We're here. We are not getting asked on. We are, we are safe. And yeah, it was like a nice little moment. Well, that's awesome. I love yeah. that. Uh, thanks for hopping on, Mike. Of course. Uh, anything coming down the pipeline? Anything the listeners should keep their eyes, ears peeled for? Be sure to follow me on the socials at Mike Milan. That's two L's in there. And uh, yeah, I'll be keeping everybody up to date with my dinners, my ass in the air, just all, all <laughs> of the very exciting things that are happening. <laughs> okay, wait. Uh, fantastic. Thanks again, listeners, for listening. I'm your host, Daniel Acker, and this has been Almost Almost Famous. Almost Almost Famous.